Okay, um, everybody, uh, thank you. So I'm working remotely uh, today. So I've just got my instructions from our panelists. Thank you, Carolyn. Um, so welcome everybody to uh, a new year and the first uh, market update webinar of, of 2021. And I hope everyone had a, a enjoyable holidays and uh, you know good start to the year. Um, certainly 2020 put all of us through our paces and uh, was, you know, it was very challenging on a number of fronts. But as many of you know, uh, on the stock market side, it, it turned from, you know, what was seen to be a rather sort of uh, lazy, not really going anywhere market to uh, another crash and then turn around very, very quickly. And uh, those of you who've been following our, our webinars, you'll, you'll understand some of the reasons for that. Um, and by the end of the year, we uh, end on, on quite a good note where the large, uh, large company, large, uh, large cap stock market index was up about eighteen percent, including dividends. You know, having been down nearly forty percent during the uh, during the troughs of uh, March and April. So that came out all right. Um, and there were a number of challenges along the way. With obviously, the economy leading it first, um, and then, as we mentioned before, the Fed coming in pretty quickly. The stimulus uh, having uh, some good effect. Oh, I won't really go into the politics. Uh, you probably know. What kind of effects that had on the market? Ultimately, it wasn't that great, but um, but certainly there was some uh, you know challenges around about the November uh, results and the events of last week. Uh, so, kind of where are we now? We've kind of got off to a good uh, year. Last couple of good start to the year. Last couple of days have been off a little bit, but not by very much. And so, let's just talk about where we are and what we see going forward into 2021. I hope the slides will work. There we go. Um, Economic growth is is just an, an extraordinary pattern, and as I've said before, uh, we normally a, a recession is uh, a decline of real DG, GDP of about one or two, uh, and that's enough to put us in recession if it lasts for you know more than a couple of quarters. Um, a decline in nominal GDP is incredibly rare. It happened in two thousand and eight. Usually, that was seen as a difference between a recession and a depression. Um, but it, not only did it happen in 2008, but it happened in a very large way in, in 2020. Um, they, so we went from a down 33% quarter, up 27 in the second quarter, up eight or so in the third quarter. I think the fourth quarter will be slightly below that. But right now, economic growth is slowing. Now, it's slowing from the rates of the second quarter and the third quarter, which you would expect because... An economy always grows rapidly out of a recession. I know this recession like no other one, but always when you hit the bottom, you get a certain, you get, you get bounces in earnings, you get big bounces in corporate productivity because a lot of employers have laid off people and they're not that keen to bring them back that quickly. So current employees produce more. Um, you know, GDP sort of, you know, has quite a big upswing from a trough. And it's exactly what happened this time around from the second quarter was up you know, by about 30% or so, uh, and then eight, and then as I said, about five. And this current quarter we're in, it's a bit, a bit early in the in the quarter to kind of guess what it is. The Atlanta GDP now, guys, thinks it's around about seven or 8%. Um, I don't know if it'll be that high, but the, obviously things have been slowing since the state and, and the cities put in higher restrictions in, uh, in uh, November and December. But I think another large part of this to think about this is that there's a lot of voluntary restrictions. So while there may not be, uh, you know, the, the, the kind of hard shutdowns that we've seen in Europe and we saw last year, um, a lot of people are voluntarily kind of distancing themselves from gatherings and that includes 
shopping, uh, other forms of entertainment, getting together at places where they would typically spend money. So basically, uh, the, the slowdown doesn't make uh, doesn't makes perfect sense to us. Uh, we expect that to pick up. But it really depends on our on our last uh, item. Um, sorry, what we can get to in a minute is the is the pace of recovery in the vaccinations. Generally, services are hurting more than manufacturing. The manufacturing numbers have actually been pretty robust, whether it's measured by export growth, again not in services but in goods. Various ISM manufacturing uh, surveys have been pretty positive. They're sort of up in the 55-60 ranges. 50 equals equilibrium. Everything above 50 denotes expansion. So they've been quite robust the last couple of months. Uh, industrial production, things like that, have all been, been pretty good, as has indeed um, uh, retail sales, particularly of goods. But services continue to hurt. And we saw that last uh, Friday, where the there was a negative job print of about 160,000 jobs lost, first one since uh, you know, the big downswing in, in March, April. And overwhelmingly, they were in the services and entertainment industry. They were like half a million people. And that's an industry which employs about, employed about 16, 17 million people out of a workforce of about 150. Back in February, it's now down to 12. So, you know, services, and you know what they are, the kind of anything which is gathering, whether it's cruises, hotels, uh, entertainment, music, sports events, the like, you know, are really are really hurting uh, pretty badly, uh, and and the U.S. is a service economy. Um, you know whether it's high-end le legal services all the way down to local delivery services. That's essentially what we are as an economy. So uh, those have been hurting more. Those are more easily seen, um, and we, again, those will probably come back as uh, well. They will come back as the economy straightens out in the in the second quarter. Everything depends on the on the virus. It's been a slow start to vaccine. I'll cover that in a minute. The Fed conditions are, are good. Now, uh, recently we've seen an uptick in long-term interest rates. I would, wouldn't put too much emphasis on those. You'll see a lot of um, uh, press about, oh, well, this is the return of inflation and the days of, of long rates uh, are, um, low rates are, are over. Um, the difference between a 10-year rate at 80 basis points and 110 is, is de minimis on its effect on the economy. That's really just, um, trading positions and the fact that there's a lot of new issuance coming on the market in 2021. So the, the monetary conditions as measured, just not by interest rates, by accommodation and uh, ease of borrowing, access to borrowing, dollar and so on, are, are, are very, very easy. And they've been that's been reiterated and confirmed by the Fed, plus the major Fed uh, speakers, the important ones, um, some more important than others. Um, time and time again over the last uh, six to eight weeks. So in answer to the question about uh, when the Fed going to raise rates, essentially their response is don't ask, stop asking. We're not about to raise rates until a couple of conditions come, come around, which we're so long away from now that this isn't really a topic of worthwhile discussion. Uh, on the con congressional side, the January, stim January stimulus uh, helped. God, we had to wait to the last minute to get that, which probably didn't help confidence, particularly with the consumers, but it did come. And um, that, that will definitely help. Um, and I think there'll be another round. It's just a question of how, how it's shaped and how it's uh, designed when it comes, probably be in the next um, six to eight weeks. The economic stats will uh, all be better in Q4. I know we're looking back uh, at Q4 right now, but um, they're all kind of on the uptick. But we'll probably have to wait another two months, and I'll explain why in a minute, uh, of relatively poor numbers, poor numbers in claims perhaps in employment, um, growth in retail sales, things like that. 
and probably you know, be fairly subdued over the next couple of months. But do remember this, we've made this point time and time again, that savings are exceptionally high. I'll show you a slide in a minute. I mean, they are not just you know, high by historical standards, they're high by you know, two or three standard deviations off the norm. And that really a result of people, two things. One, uh, a lot of the stimulus, whether it was the $2,000 checks and the additional uh, other benefits, the PPP, a lot, of those, a lot of that money went into people's pockets and simply wasn't spent, it was saved. Uh, partly saved because people were fearful, uh, maybe they had to sort of keep some money for a rainy day, so savings ratios just you know, ballooned up by a factor of five or six times. Um, or um, people had the money and didn't have a place to spend it. So uh, you know, there's only so many times you can upgrade your Netflix subscription and get a faster computer and things like that. A lot, lot of which were people doing that, but you know, a lot of money goes on services and those services weren't available for spending. So combination of savings are high and, and less of ability to actually spend money. The savings are very high and I think it's gonna be a particularly big release into the economy uh, probably around the second quarter. So the rebound will be very quick. The risk assets um, will do continue to do well post-election. By that, I mean, you know, stocks, whether it's here, uh, abroad. I do think the market will widen out, but it has already. Um, but the market isn't cheap, and we'll discuss some of that uh, in a minute. Uh, this is an interesting graph, and it comes from um, the idea that CDC just did, did a study where they said they thought that one in eight, only one in eight of the COVID cases were actually being identified. So for every a person that identified positive, there were at least another eight that were, um, were, were carried COVID or had COVID, but they hadn't been tested. Now, this was done in September, October, when testing wasn't nearly as high as it is today. Um, but at, at, the, at the moment, the US uh, caseload is about 22 million. I wouldn't quite put the one in eight number, but it tells you there's a lot, potentially a large body of people who have not been tested and probably had COVID of some sort of some sort. Now, if you apply the one in eight numbers for the CDC, you get to an astronomical number, about 150 million people who've had it. Um, and therefore, um, you know, would would be less susceptible to get it again. Um, so even if you take a more conser conservative number and say we well, got the 22 million, which is about 10% of the population. Uh, actually, no, sorry, about 7% 7, 7 of the population. Um, and you use one of those CDC factors, maybe multiply it by four or five, and pretty soon you're getting, let's just say, we're at 10 or 15% immunity without the vaccinations. And that's the top line. Uh, and then the, the, uh, the vaccinations right now are today um, about 600,000 uh, a day. And that's up from about 400,000 at the beginning of the year. So it's definitely going in the right direction. So uh, if you take this, the, the second shots per day, uh, we're at 600, so just below that 500. Let's assume we can get to a million and you're at uh, 10 or 15%. You're talking about you know, Im herd immunity sort of starting to kick in around about spring. So, it's, so let's just take the 1500 line and assume 15%, you know, looking at May, May, April, May, uh, May, April, March. <clears throat> and obviously, if you think that immunity is higher than that, we can get to two and a half million, then you're looking to an end, end you know, to an establishment of herd immunity much, much sooner. And this is essentially what the market, I know it sounds like we've kind of convoluted a lot of different numbers here, but, but this is sort of getting to the 72% immunity, which I think is pretty much uh, you know, re required. So it's a combination of vaccines plus people who've had it. Um, so if the CDC is right, and I suspect they are, then, um, then uh, we should be looking at this sort of early spring. You can just see what I've highlighted, April, 
uh, you know, late, late March to late April period where we start to get that, that immunity. And that's essentially what the markets are thinking and saying, and they're just coming at it in a slightly different way. But anyway, I think it's uh, generally good news. I mean, although the day-to-day -day news isn't that, isn't that great, um, but I think in a combination of the immunity um, levels plus the vaccine uh, acceleration is gonna mean that we're at, at, at these much safer levels by early spring. Uh, this isn't, you know, the greatest thing to see right now. You know, we've had our three waves here, um, and this is in a confirmed case is um, uh, per thousand, per hundred thousand. So it's all a population uh, uh, adjusted. Um, Europe and these other ones had a distinct uh, second wave, uh, but it wasn't nearly as extreme, um, and uh, and they seem to be, you know in much better shape but but this kind of third wave i i think uh um, i'm stepping on dangerous ground here because i'm not really in uh, like everyone else i'm not totally okay with the uh, immunology and epidemiology statistics here but it would suggest to me that you know we may be past uh, our worst and um and, and things will start to get better and this is encouraging too because if i showed i've shown this graph the last couple of couple of couple of times that we've uh, we've been together, and uh, if you remember those uh, Wisconsin, South Dakota, and North Dakota, and I just and include uh, uh, Wyoming and uh, and and uh, I think Minnesota as well, just because they were all you know within shouting distance of that Sturgis rally, which led to a huge outbreak. But those have all you know come down quite remarkably. Those of us here in California, that's a slightly different story. We've got this kind of uh, in a peak and then it's been creeping back up and, and you know the local news on that. But this is, you know, at least uh, a showing that some of these, uh, you know, heavy caseloads are, are moving in the right direction. Um, the Fed, I've mentioned, you know, time and time again, I'd put them down as sort of man of the year or person of the year if we're able to put an institution down. Um, they are the ones that came through very, very quickly. They continue to be very clear about what they're gonna do. Um, They've set an inflation and employment target, which is so far out that it suggests that they're going to keep, uh, you know, monetary policy easy for a while. I'd just to remind people that you know, monetary policy isn't just the level of interest rates. I mean, it is the Fed funds rate is one of the key levers, and and that will remain, you know, at zero for quite some time. But you know, the the level and pace of quantitative easing. So this is the result of that. This is the assets on the balance sheet, which. Uh, it ballooned up from about three and a half where they were sort of essentially winding down up to over six. That level of growth has begun to ease off a little bit. The percentage changes at the bottom um, are year over year and, um, and, and the weekly change in annual rate you could see that they were you know, very, very high during the worst of the crisis, 400%, they've come off quite a bit. And so the Fed is really sort of saying, uh, we've expanded the balance sheet. If we need to do it again, we can. But they've slowed the overall buying of it, mainly because I think they're, uh, you know, they feel, and I think they're right, that, that we're mostly out of trouble here. And a lot of the credit markets, debt markets, money markets, and others don't need a lot of liquidity provision right now. But anyway, the Fed stands there, low rates, uh, especially at the short term for some time to come. And I think they're going to uh, you know, be flexible as needed on the, on the uh, pace of uh, quantitative easing. Uh, the yields have popped up recently, as I mentioned earlier. A 10-year went from about, excuse me, about 60 basis point mid-year to about 80, 90 by the end of the year. And today it's uh, it's about 110, something like, today about 110, something like that. 
but I think that's fine. You can see now that the, the now one is with a 30 year note at 189. We just showed up against a year ago. And so it's moved up slightly from the one month and one week ago, not at the short term. If you, if you look at the short end, those kind of overlay over, overlay each other almost perfectly. Nothing's happening, you know, at any rates between uh, overnight and six and uh, almost uh, 24 months. That's just, those are not uh, moving at all. But what's happening at all, what's happening with the rest of the curve, it's slowly getting more uh, steeper. And that's generally a good sign. It's good for financials. Banks can't make money in a flat rate, a flat uh, yield curve environment. In other words, they can't really uh, take in money at six months and pay a depositor 50 basis points and lend it out for 10 years at also 50 basis points. They just don't make any money on that. They need something steeper and that's, uh, this is how they do it. Um, so, you know, a steeper curve is usually good for financials and explains why financials have had a very good run over the last uh, couple of months. But I don't see anything uh, worrisome about this. Don't see that it's a t uptick in inflation. Don't think there's any change of sign in uh, Fed policy. It's just, uh, you know, the, the, the 10 year rate coming up a little bit as people see the expectations for growth slightly more positive. Um, so I would say the steeper steaming yield curve is generally a good sign. We mentioned these uh, targets. This is actually, although we got another month's worth of data, this looks exactly the same as it did a month ago. The unemployment rate is 6.7%. It's understated, but that doesn't matter for the purposes of this rate, for the, of this um, graph. Um, you can see that it's, it's pretty high by, um, by historical standards. And um, the inflation number is 1.16. Now, uh, there's another CPI coming out this week, I think tomorrow. It might show it's slightly higher than that. And we do expect an uptick in inflation in the spring, mainly because uh, of the base effects. You know, 12 months ago was when, for example, we had that um, oil down at, you know, in single digits. And that fed through to gasoline prices and other kind of oil related products that everyone buys. And so uh, inflation back then was really at a, um, a remarkable low. So when we start to do the year on year numbers in the second quarter, it'll start to look uh, like it's ticking up, but it's really not. These inflation numbers are pretty static. And I wrote about it in the blog last week about, you know, it's very difficult for this economy in the US these days to break through uh, a 2% inflation rate for a sustained level. So if you kind of take the Fed at their word, it's going to be an awful long time before these uh, two numbers where in, in unemployment's around about four and inflation's around about two to match up again. Um, so I think, again, this comes back to the Fed being easy for, for longer. Um, the deficit, uh, the, the, as you know, uh, Republicans sort of wax and wane on this. So they get very deficit hawkish when they're not in power, and then they tend not to worry about it when they are in power. And uh, when we wrote when we wrote about the uh, tax increases in uh, 20, decreases in 2017, we knew it was going to be a, a huge impact to the deficit. I mean, they put out these 10-year projection numbers in order to avoid having the Senate have to vote them through with a 60-40 majority. But actually, no one believed that they were going to be able to double the growth uh, with those uh, tax changes. And so the deficit started creeping up. Um, I'm, again, not too worried about it. Again, you'll hear plenty of uh, commentary about the deficit is 100% of GDP or 120. It depends on whether you count the securities held by the Social Security Administration. Um, and, uh, and government pension funds, most people don't. But, um, but yeah, the, the, the deficit uh, has increased, but this is what they're paying in interest. So if you kind of go back to 19, 
94, those blue lines, you know, the, uh, the national debt, in, net interest payments, because they, they hold them and net off what they have to pay, what the Treasury has to pay out, what it receives from intergovernmental holdings, about 400 billion. Well, today it's about 500 billion. So it's plummeted as a percentage of GDP from, you know, 5%, where, uh, you know, you could argue that 5% of GDP was committed to paying just the interest rate on Treasury securities, down to two and a half. And it's been there, you know, for most of the last decade. So uh, in, in my view, this is, uh, it makes sense to borrow long uh, at, at rates which uh, you can borrow the 30 year at 1.8, something like that, 2%. In real terms, it's all negative. So, I mean, even if the, theoretically, if the government went out and built a bridge going nowhere with a 0% return, it would have a positive rate of return on an inflation adjusted basis. So, I mean, I'm not going to do that, but it does suggest that if the economy is in a slump, which it was, then it makes sense for the government to borrow at incredibly low rates. So, I'm not worried about the deficit crowding out or anything else like that. I mean, we, we definitely have to kind of fix the economy. And so the latest stimulus package uh, might sound in a very, uh, very high, very alarming, whether it's, you know, one trillion, two trillion. But at this, at these levels of interest rate and this level of uh, economic slack, it makes uh, perfect sense. So I don't think it's gonna affect the interest rate down there uh, at all. The labor market has definitely stalled. You know, we have been writing about the weekly claims numbers um, every week since this happened. So uh, over there on the left, we had these extraordinary numbers of 6.8 million. This is a, a log graph. So normally we were talking, you know, the, the record uh, claim number of, before this was in 2000. And eight, I think, another one in 1981, where it's about 600,000, and that really freaked people out. Uh, and we went to 3.3 million, 6.8 million. It took a while, to, and we had, you know, several, uh, several weeks where it was way over a million. You can really see that from September, it's essentially just flattened out. So uh, we're still running at about seven, eight hundred thousand uh, claims a, a week, and this is again part of the, uh, you know triple wave that we've had, the different types of uh, close downs, the weakness in the services economy, uh, you know, also claims which were, were local government related as people went back to school but didn't go back to school. So not as many people needed to be hired for that. So these claims numbers are still extraordinarily high on a, on a historical basis. Um, I, I think they're likely to go up in the next uh, couple of weeks just because they're very tied to the case COVID case uh, load and those have been those were increasing post the uh, holidays um, but really we need these numbers need to get way way down uh, before we see a, you know, a really good improvement in, in the labor market um, so it, you know the definitely the labor market is the is the part of the market which is still um, not not doing very well the other thing that happened here was that there was a change in the unemployment benefits uh, there were two special programs, one for gig workers, one for people who'd, uh, whose regular state unemployment benefits had expired, uh, and they both lapsed uh, on December the 31st. Now, one of those programs has been revived, but at a lower rate, so uh, that might help the claims numbers in a few weeks. But this is, this is a, better, a better graph for sure, but you know, when I look at this and just see that, hey, we're at the same number we were you know, back in October, uh, that's not that's not a good sign. That's got to start moving, you know, downward um, over the next couple of months. And I think it will, just as we mentioned that the you know the, uh, the market is uh, expecting more recovery in the early spring, but it's not there yet. Uh, 
And then last week we saw a, a negative print. So this extraordinarily big number here, the 22 million job losses, again, not even close to what they had ever been. Uh, this is on the right-hand graph of the number of new jobs created. We've sort of been running along for the best part of a decade between about 120,000 new jobs a month to about 200. Sometimes they spiked up, sometimes they fell off, but that was sort of, if you kind of average it out, we were about 150,000 uh, a month, just about in line with population growth. Then we saw this big collapse here. We start to go back up again, and then we had it fall last week. Last, uh, last month, so those are December numbers. Um, so those, uh, and of those negative 140, uh, 450,000 were in the leisure and entertainment industry. So uh, that, that alone explains the, uh, the, the, the big change in uh, decline in new jobs. Um, again, I think this will start kicking up uh, a little bit, maybe not in January because the survey uh, date is the 12th of January, which I think is today. Um, so um, and I, don't, I don't think there'll be a, um, a huge uptick there, but again, I expect it to start to recover quite well uh, by this spring. I've also mentioned in the blog that this, this hourly wage growth, you'll, you'll hear people talking about, well, it's great for if you've got a job because it is, but uh, you know, average hourly earnings of uh, all employees, this white line is growing by 5%. Um, a year, which is totally untrue. It, it, that is just a statistical quirk where you know, lower paids have, in, have, have lost their jobs far more in proportion to their size of the workforce than higher paids. You know, in the leisure and entertainment industry, the, uh, uh, the average hourly wage is about $50 compared to an, a month, uh, uh, an, an economy-wide average of $28. Um, so if you drop if those people drop out, it looks like the rest of the uh, population have had a, a wage increase, but it's just taking out the, uh, the, the lower page from the numbers. So underlying wage growth is probably two to three percent, something like that, um, uh, in nominal terms, so flat in real terms. So this isn't an issue at all. And uh, if you read anywhere that uh, it's been great, you know, and that wages are increasing by five percent, then, uh, you know, flip to the next page because it's just just simply not true. Um, this first of all, a good sign. We're all kind of looking for, you know, good signs and sometimes you don't have to hunt very far to find them. And I think this is a really important one. This is the permanent job losses. So we mentioned before, this is when a, uh, you know, a company or a branch or an office doesn't just say we need 10% fewer workers and has to lay people off. It closes and the business, you know, permanently says we're done and filing for closure, bankruptcy or whatever it is, the jobs are just not coming back. And uh, that, you know, we saw a, a big jump in 08, 09. That was essentially, you know, a heavily overstaffed financial services industry, you know, cleaning out. Um, and that, that's kind of skyrocketed up to, you know, six, seven million. This is, this is pretty severe as well, coming from, you know, from, from, a, from a lows of about 1.2 million to 3.3. But it did go down last month, which was good. It suggests that, uh, you know, employers are not wanting to uh, let, their best employees go and they're trying to do everything they can to stop from having to um you know close their businesses or or you know make those job losses be permanent so that's a good sign we're watching this one for the next couple of months uh, if it stabilizes that great if it falls it's even better if it increases we've got a problem uh, but at least it's sort of in in the in the right direction for the last month um 
this is just really the GDP numbers. I kind of talked about that. Uh, it's just the, 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 the big 31% decline. It came back sharpishly. We're still way below where we, where we, where we are, where we were. Um, we're, I think, um, you know, the total GDP is down about 8% from what it was, uh, you know, in the fourth quarter of 2019, when it was kind of lasted its fully at its uh, you know, healthiest for a full quarter. So there's still a lot more uh, improvement to come. Yeah, this is actually a better one. This is uh, the, the GDP now is up 33%. And this is what, this is the, the Atlanta guys. Atlanta Fed puts out this uh, kind of running estimate of where they think uh, growth will be. So um, th there's certainly been an uptake back in the late, in middle of uh, December, they were thinking growth would be around about 4%. And their current number, you know, as published today, is about 8.6% for this quarter. Again, these are all annualized numbers. So it doesn't mean the economy grew by 8%. It just means it grew by roughly about 2%, but it's 8% on an annualized basis. But it's, in, it's kind of in, in the right direction. So some good signs uh, on the growth side. I mentioned this because I think this is this is where there's going to be a potentially a very big jump in consumer spending. If you think about all of the, you know, demand has been pent up. Now you can't go out and you know have ten meals on the trot to make up for all of the restaurants that you missed out on uh, last year, and you can't go out and have you know twenty haircuts on the ones that you missed out. But you can go out and and start to you know go on vacation, buy on services, airlines. All these are going to come back. Uh, I think. Pretty, pretty darn quickly. Um, and there's a, a lot of pent up savings here. I mean, um, this is uh, savings deposit percentage of GDP, sort of running about 45%. Well, it's about 55% here, and it's gone from uh, roughly you know, 9 trillion to 11.2. And that's an awful lot of um, savings, uh, way above what normally people would hold in their savings uh, savings accounts just for sort of general general purposes so i suspect again this is a lot of the money which people earned but didn't have a chance to save to spend or people who just simply saved their uh, you know uh, unemployment benefits or furlough money or uh, ppp proceeds so this is this is a very big deal because this is um th this shows that the the consumer if they're working is in pretty good shape and on the debt side Credit card debt, consumer debt has all been pretty flat to lower. So this is all net cash that could go towards um, spending very, very quickly. And I think it will once the you know, once there's any kind of semblance of a long all clear. And then the two bright spots are the same as that we've talked about before. Vehicle sales came back very, very quickly. I and mean, this is an extraordinary decline from about 17 million on, a, on an annual basis, you know, again using analyzed numbers to seven. So that's just you know, the car company closed up, as you remember, um, last uh, March, April, they just stopped, ceased manufacturing. So it was, it was, once they cleared the backlog, backlog of inventory on the car lots, there was just no, 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 no demand at all. But, it, but it's come back very, very quickly. <clears throat> Trucks more than uh, cars, um, but a truck is an SUV in America. So, uh, so it really is just showing that the, yeah, that there is a demand for these and you know, whether it's tied to people changing their commute habits probably or they need more cars um, at home because there are more people who need to get around because they're working from home you know all these kind of things are uh, probably driving driving the numbers but it means that the people are feeling confident enough to go out and buy a fairly big ticket consumer durable item um, and they're able to get access to money and credit in order to do so.
And the other one, as we mentioned, is housing. Uh, came, this is new, new home sales, um, sales of existing homes, similar sort of graph. Uh, it's you know, come up nicely, uh, corrected obviously March, April, came to a standstill and then started to escalate pretty quickly. Um, but this is, um, this is certainly you know, a good number. Uh, and again, it's people, it might be people moving, it might be people who need more room because um, they feel they're gonna at least park, uh, have, <coughs> have one of their rooms committed to a work from home you know, office location. So all these things are you know, showing up here in the housing numbers and you know, mortgage rates are incredibly low. And if, you, if you're able to qualify, it's quite easy to get a mortgage. <coughs> So, um, so the housing numbers have been certainly the other major price point. Uh, this hasn't changed too much, except the market's gone up again since we talked uh, last, probably another six or seven percent. Um, but it, it, the dividends have held pretty flat. So, uh, I mean, last time I went, didn't repeat the slide, but you know, those companies that are paying dividends, uh, some of them have corrected it. Uh, you know, the, the, so it came down a little bit, but now it's kind of flat. And the Fed gave the all clear for most of the banks to resume paying dividends uh, about a month or two ago. So they, they'll, um, they'll start to pop back into the numbers. So the dividends, you know, for those companies that pay them, and only it's about two thirds of the S&P 500 that pay dividends, um, a lot more do share buybacks and some don't do either. But, uh, but def definitely, you know, the dividend level of income off the S&P has held up pretty well. And then the earnings, <laughs> they're roughly about $120 a share. They were a record of about $150. Uh, and they're slowly you know, stabilizing. Um, I haven't, the estimates for, uh, for 2021 are probably gonna be more like um, 125 or 130. So again, earnings have taken a hit, uh, but they're recovering by not nearly so much as the price level. This is interesting because this, you know, when we, talking most of uh, 2020 we're talking about you know amazing leadership in the tech industries which made perfect sense i mean these companies are hugely profitable um as companies whether it was whether it was zoom or you know, amazon from home or microsoft teams all this kind of stuff uh were adding huge amounts of new users with very little extra cost you know, other than amazon which is a little bit more employee heavy but uh uh, that that was a they they were leading the market and this showed the um, January through I think to the end of September numbers so the top five so you know the Fangs the Facebook Google's um, Microsoft Amazon um, were you know up forty three percent one hundred forty three percent and then you see everything else kind of lagged behind so the mega cap the hundred top one hundred stocks up eight percent the S and P was <clears throat> at that time, only up about five, four, four point one percent. Emerging markets were flat, mid cap was, and small cap were negative because, you know, essentially small and mid cap don't have these type of huge, big scale money making type of companies, um, and they don't have any overseas earnings, uh, or certainly a lot less. Um, so that was uh, they they were lagging, but boy, did this thing move quickly in the other direction. So uh, in the last three months. You know, the, uh, the small caps were up uh, nearly up 28%, <clears throat> mid caps up 20%, and emerging market up 17 whereas uh, the large cap S&P 500 took a bit of a breather. Still up 7%, which is a very good number uh, for, an, you know, for an annualized number. Um, uh, you know, for, for, for a total one-year number, 7% is very credible. 
very respectable. Um, this is just in the last uh, three months. Um, and then the top five took a breather and they were off a little bit, uh, uh, down just, well, showing down 2%. But this does show that the you know, stock market um, breadth and depth issue, which was, you know, the, the, the leaders were neither broad in leadership or was a much depth to it uh, in the first nine months or the post uh, crash, post COVID alert uh, market for the six months after March and April. But now it's really turned around. And I think part of that is uh, uh, the steepening of the interest rate of the, of, of the yield curve. Because I mentioned that you know, financials make money when there's a steep yield curve. They don't if it's flat. So every insurance company, regional bank, uh, asset manager, um, uh, you know, anyone that's sort of you know, buying REITs, um, mortgage companies, all this kind of stuff, were, were benefiting enormously by just the uh, change in interest rates. And they're very well represented in small mid cap. But I think the other feeling was that uh, it, was, it was the recovery is likely to broaden out a little bit more. And so we'll see uh, more of these domestic um, uh, plays. Uh, benefit from the recovery, whereas before it was very much concentrated with the uh, top five guys. So that's a good sign to see the market broadening out like that. Now, <clears throat> with all that, it was a great year, uh, and um, but the stocks are not cheap. So uh, this just kind of shows the price to sales ratio. Uh, that's sort of getting up there with the tech period. Um, it's 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 not. It's not a huge um, alarm bell, you know, red, red light, um, DEFCON 4 alarm, <clears throat> but it's definitely not uh, a bargain. And then I've just taken the enterprise value over earnings, which is just a way of um, looking at price earnings ratio from a slightly different lens. And you can again see that the, the, the stocks have come up uh, by quite a bit and they were, you know, sort of in this, um, you know, one point, uh, sorry, for the earnings of about 16, 17 times earnings, for most 17, 18, 19, and then they really took off. Now that, that is, makes sense to some, some, to some extent, because, uh, you know, companies have a big drop in earnings, it snaps back quite quickly, the price doesn't drop as much as the earnings. And so they look expensive coming out of recession, that's perfectly normal. Um, but these are definitely numbers to, you know, to keep an eye on. And, and it certainly made us, um, you know, think about um, expanding out into small and mid cap, which we have done, as well as emerging markets and some international, and then putting some protection on the markets because this is is definitely not uh, cheap. But there is also some other <laughs> measures which will tell you that it is quite cheap or you know, not as expensive as it looks. This one I take you here. Just look at this black line. It's very cheap when it's high and it's very expensive when it's low. <laughs> um, and so we're, and it, and it for, for those of you following, it's the earnings yield, which is just a way of taking the earnings of a company and, and sort of transforming it into something that looks like a bond yield. And then taking from that, uh, the 10 year yield. So we're at 3.27, which is sort of in line for most of the last seven or eight years. This is really a factor of quite good earnings, uh, but, mostly driven by the fact that we're in a very low interest rate environment. So again, stocks can look expensive by their own metrics like price to sales, price to earnings. But on things like dividend yield, which I haven't shown here, um, and this, they, they can look quite reasonable. So they can be cheap, especially related to, to bonds. Now, again, there's no bargain here. And I would sort of temper 
uh, expectations for another 15% um, return on the S&P, which we've seen, you know, two years running. Um, but I don't think it's a concern where, you know, back like back in 2000, we're going to see, you know, a, a massive sustained correction. So we just got to keep an eye on, uh, on, on, on the valuations and make sure we're pretty well diversified on that side. Um, and there are some bubbles around and they're not, they're not small. <laughs> I mean, um, <clears throat> Tesla just continues to take my breath away. Now, I don't mind about, you know, a single stock going bananas and everyone piling into it and getting excited about it and getting let down on it. But this is the first time it's ever happened where a company has entered into the S&P 500, having not been a constituent of the S&P 500, in at number five. Um, so at a roughly $750 billion, that makes it bigger than Facebook, who you know, makes a lot more money than Tesla. Um, I mean, 30, 40 times more, um, you know, and that's Tesla on a good day. Um, and bigger than Berkshire Hathaway and things like this. <clears throat> so by coming in at number five or six, it begins to skew the S&P because now you've got you know, a, a single stock with some very some lot of volatility behind it, and you know almost no earnings, uh, and it's roughly about two percent, something like that, of a little bit more of, of the S and P five hundred. So I wouldn't normally pick on a single stock, but in this case I will, just because you know Tesla has definitely been a, an, a, an incredible, uh, incredible performer. And I'm not going to go into the pros and cons of Tesla. I wrote about it uh, about a month ago. If you want to go and look at it but um, it doesn't make any money. And uh, you have to have a lot of hopes and dreams on that one to feel that it's gonna uh, manage its expectations. Another one, another bubble was the IPO market. And this is the, this is the um, uh, black line. And this is just uh, an, I, uh, uh, an ETF that specializes in IPOs. And really IPOs are very cyclical. You know, they kind of go along, don't do a heck of a lot for a number of years and then they have a big spike. So this is the, one year number and the IP numbers were not great as you'd expect. And then they started to take off by quite a bit. So if you'd had the IPO numbers for the last you know, 12 months, you've um, more than doubled your money. Um, and then of course, Bitcoin, which uh, uh, started off the year incredibly strong has corrected a lot. Um, these are all examples of money chasing good ideas with, um, you know, kind of a speculative uh, air to them as opposed to, um, something really fundamental. I don't want to get an argument about Tesla and the future of electric vehicles, but uh, but again, there's a lot of a lot of uh, retail investors that have been piling into this. So there are some bubbles around, uh, and these are three of them, uh, which are pretty easy to spot. I don't know when they'll correct. <laughs> um, and just as a reminder, you know, to kind of go back to what happened, you you can buy a perfectly good company. This is sort of Amazon, Microsoft, and Cisco back in 2000. And if you'd held on to Amazon, you'd have made you know 4,000 percent on it or something, 41 times your money. Uh, and even on uh, Microsoft, you'd have made five times your money. Uh, with Cisco, you would never have gotten above what you paid for it back then. But these took a decade to clear. If you look at this line, you know between two, what I've shaded here. Between 2000 and 2010, you were not in the money if you'd been buying these stocks you know, back in 2000. You'd have had to be extremely patient. But they, uh, they did well. I mean, uh, you know, if you look at Microsoft's earnings or Amazon's earnings, they continued to show good growth. These are not companies that kind of fell out of bed. These were good businesses uh, now and, in, in, and back then. <clears throat> so 
<clears throat> my only concern with some of these stocks is you might be right in the long term, but you could be underwater for a very long time as uh, essentially the price has got way ahead of the underlying businesses. So that's just kind of cautionary tale what happened uh, 20 years ago. So just to kind of uh, wrap up um, and then be happy to take questions. I think the market should broaden, should continue to, to I mean, small company has, take, has really taken off in the beginning of this year. I think uh, <clears throat> small, small company is small cap stocks are up about 8% and the S&P is up about one. So that's quite a big spread between the two. It, again, that's moved very quickly. Um, and we might even think of taking some protection on that one as well. Uh, but the fiscal, and I wrote this last time, fiscal plus vaccine plus the Fed should make you know, very strong growth in the second quarter. Small and mid cap should do well. Some of the value stocks, don't get too hung up on the kind of definition of value. It's changed a lot. You'll hear a lot of talk about value stocks coming back. Really, that's just shorthand for saying financials are having a better run. And again, that's just tied to the interest rate cycle. Um, energy, which is another part of value, is a slightly different game. That's uh, probably got a, a more you know, secular downshift to it. Uh, the tax reforms, you know, whether it's changes in income tax or corporate tax, I think will make, um, should not make much difference to market sentiment. Now, the, there'll be plenty of commentators saying, well, the corporate tax rate went from, it's going from 21 to 28, you know, having come down from 36 with the Trump reforms, but um, the S&P 500 companies don't pay 21% corporation tax. They pay about 6% less than that. So I don't think it's going to make much difference whether um, you know companies take that excess money and use it for share buybacks, or the or the government takes the money and plows it back in through fiscal stimulus. Um, plenty of economists who argue differently, but I, I really think that that will be a that won't be a, a major concern for the market if the corporate tax rate goes up, despite you know everybody saying, uh, especially the business side saying they don't want that to happen. So the risks in the market right now, I think, is that you know, if the vaccine level slows, I mean, we're at 600,000 a day right now. Um, you know, Israel vaccinated 12% of its population within three weeks. Um, so for us to get to that, we'd have to you know, vaccinate um, uh, 35, 40 million people. Um, and at 600,000 a day, we're not going to be able to do that. So if we, yeah, hopefully we'll see the vaccination uh, logistics and everything else uh, begin to uh, improve, but there's an expectation that they will. And if they don't, then that's a risk for the market. The same with the number of cases. I mean, it's you, you've seen the numbers, the 250,000 caseload is uh, astronomically high. If that starts to climb even higher, I think that would be a concern, obviously. Any change to the status quo in the rate and Fed, Fed environment? I don't see it, but right now, <clears throat> all the major central banks are on a, on a, on a low rate uh, uh, outlook. Japan, European Union, uh, Bank of England, the Fed, and you know, follow through with uh, the other major central banks uh, like Swiss National Bank and so on. <clears throat> but I don't see any change to that, but I think uh, the, the market levels are, uh, are quite high just simply because bond rates are quite are so low. So if there's a major change in that, that could correct the market pretty quick. Inflation, uh, I think, uh, talked about a mid-year uptick. I don't think there'll be any you know, kick up in inflation that will be sustained. But if there is, <clears throat> or people feel that the, the mid-year uptick is going to last longer, then that's going to put some pressure under rates, which will put some pressure on stocks. 
tech regulations, everybody's got the uh, tech guys in their crosshairs right now. I mean, the EU is probably doing it the best way. They've kind of tried to moderate content, get these guys to pay some taxes and, you know, and, and, uh, um, it, you know, it, it's put some mild regulation around it. Um, there, there might be in the US more of a, um, more of a feeling that they need to be you know, re-regulated re uh, harder. I don't think it'll come to a big breakup or anything else like that, but you know, definitely tech has uh, had a pretty good run of not being touched by the regulators and that's yeah, probably gonna change. And then uh, finally, if the dollar uh, accelerates in strength, that's not very good for emerging markets. So I think um, the dollar was pretty weak in the third, fourth quarter of last year. It's, it's softened up a little bit. It's got a little bit better recently. Um, but we wouldn't want to see a sort of a dollar begin to weaken. Um, there's no reason why it should. You know, people like well, Trump talked it down. It didn't really succeed. But if you, uh, you know, you never know if someone's going to try and do that. I don't think the current administration, the about to be administration will do that. You've got Janet Yellen, who knows this stuff, sitting in Treasury, probably going to be the you know very successful Treasury Secretary. So I don't think we'll get that kind of stuff again. But it doesn't help when uh, someone's, you know, the um, head of state is talking down your currency. So, but that's definitely something that uh, uh, is out there as a potential risk. I think overall, you know, earnings are gonna rise uh, quite well uh, in 2021. Uh, we we'll certainly be back, back up to pre-pandemic levels within about uh, 18 months. And also there should be some increase here in the dividends. So, you know, on, on the whole, uh, markets done very well, very, uh, very, Please see the kind of small and mid cap rally come through as well as the emerging markets. We expected it would, but you know, when these things happen, they happen very quickly. Um, so, uh, you know, sometimes you've got to sit around and be patient for that, uh, for that idea to come through. I wouldn't be surprised if we get a little bit of a market correction uh, just because once things settle down a little bit, and I'm assuming some things will settle down post the 20th of January, um, you'll get some, um, you might get some more profit taking or the market be a bit more vulnerable to, to any setbacks, but I don't think that'll be a sustained correction at all. Okay, I'm gonna stop the share now and just uh, see if there's any Q and A's coming through. Um, doesn't appear to be right now, but um, happy to take Q and A's uh, over the chat box or, um, or if you think of something later, please you know, give us a call or send us an email. Uh, be happy to answer any questions you might have. Okay, so uh, Carolyn, uh, are there any questions coming through? Maybe I'm going to text. No, Christian, I think we're good for close whenever you're ready. Okay, I'm just going to uh, thank everybody and I'm just gonna come back to uh, share the screen and um, uh, put, put where that slide there. <laughs> put this slide up, there we go. That's the disclosure. So I'm gonna leave it there for a little bit and uh, thank you very much everybody for joining us today. And again, uh, any questions feel free to um, to uh, call us or uh, ask us through, through email. Thank you very much.